Good morning. What is up, my party people, on a Monday morning? I never know how to open these on Monday, um, being on Facebook, because it's like, do I come in mellow and melancholy like most of us are on Monday, or do I come in like a like a shock jock DJ trying to hype us up for Monday? So um, if you need a melancholy, soft voice, imagine my voice is that, and if you need someone to amp you up, then imagine my voice as that. Um, but here we are, another Monday. We are uh, working through the F260 Bible reading plan, which if you don't have a Bible reading plan, um, I strongly recommend you get one. One of the, the best things that you can do when you're building discipline in any category, whether it's working out, um, whether it's finances, um, whether it's uh, school, is to set a program and have a plan. So having a Bible reading plan is great. You could find F260's Bible reading plan um, on our website. You could also just search F260 Bible reading plan. Um, Robbie Gallaty is the guy who kind of came up with it. And so this is what we've been following along with. Um, that's just what we're doing every Monday morning. And a uh, couple things I want to make you aware of is that this is now being uh, recorded and put on our podcast as well. And so if you are not a podcast person, um, you should be because there's a big benefit to podcasts. Podcasts, uh, you can listen to them anytime. You don't even have a screen. And one thing I love about podcasts is that you can actually um, speed it up to one and a half times to up to two times. So if you get sick and tired of my long winding introductions, you can process through it uh, faster. And so this is on the Sovereign Hope Church podcast on iTunes. Um, and as well as Google Podcast. But I do want to say the goal of what I'm doing this morning is not necessarily to have this polished podcast. Um, in fact, uh, those of you who are on Facebook, this is all my notes. Um, and it is uh, just me trying to, one, provide some encouragement on a Monday. But this is me wanting to just model what my devotions look like. And so this is a good discipline for me to actually think through and articulate it. And so all I'm doing is I'm doing what we're doing with our Bible reading group on Wednesdays. We're just processing through um, the text and we're asking three, we're doing three things with the text. We're looking up, we're seeing what this teaches us about God. We're looking in, what does this teach us about ourselves? And we're looking out, how does this change the way we live? And so this isn't polished. Um, I don't have anything grandiose. So this is meant to be something that you can look and say, hey, I can do that. Tyler's not brilliant. This is stuff I can find in scripture too. Um, and we are in Psalms now. Uh, there's actually two passages today in the Bible reading plan, Psalm 119, um, 129 through the end of Psalm 119, and then also Psalm 139. And we're just going to focus today for the sake of um, time. We're just going to focus on the last quarter of Psalm 119. I think we've gone through Psalm 119 since last Wednesday. Um, longest book in the Bible. And I have to confess something. I loathe reading the Psalms devotionally. And that seems really counterintuitive because uh, so the Psalms are often a go-to book for people in their devotions. But let me tell you why. Is um, It's very easy for me, like when we were reading historical narrative, and which we'll return to here in a couple weeks as we uh, pick up with the story of Solomon. That's kind of where we are in Israel's history. Um, when I read a narrative or when I read a theological letter or a gospel, uh, I can say, okay, here we see um, David sinned in having a census. Uh, he was boasting in his arrogance. He was disciplined by God, um, and yet he repented at the end. And so in this narrative, I see, okay, I see arrogance, I see God's judgment, I see God's grace, and I see repentance. I, I understand the plot of the story. I understand largely how to apply it to my life. 
and now I can check that box and move on because I've learned something, something objective, something measurable, something attainable. Um, or you could read in, in Romans, in Romans 6, and you could say, all right, I have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ so that I might live again. All right, we could check that off. We saw that. It's so clearly there in verse uh, 4, I think is what it is. When we read the psalm, um, there's no clear narrative to follow. There's no like, okay, this is what I've learned in this. Uh, Samson was acting rashly um, and not fulfilling his Nazarite vow. Um, there's no clear narrative that we could just say, okay, I understand this text. And very rarely does it just express some deep theological truth like justification by faith um, or the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit or the nature of the church. It's poetic. It's emotional, which demands me uh, not just to read it and check off a box, but to actually meditate on it. And it's, I hate it because I need to love it. Um, and then maybe for you, that's something as difficult as sometimes I read a psalm and I'm like, what am I reading? And I can't just fall back on, okay, there's a story here. I actually have to understand emotionally um, the position of the psalmist. What are the emotions they're going through? And that requires me to wrestle with the text at a level um, that we all should, but sometimes we can easily uh, slip by. And so that's why I hate reading the Psalms is because it forces us to slow down, to chew on it. Um, it's, it's kind of like a cud. We have to become bovines as we read the Psalm. We eat it once and then we eat it again and then we eat it again. And then finally it can get into our stomach and nourish us. So I know that's the imagery you wanted on a Monday morning. Um, so you're welcome for that. But let's dive in to Psalm 119. So again, we're looking at the last kind of quarter of it. So verses 129 through 126. Um, if you haven't read it, that's okay. You can have it open uh, with you today. I'm not going to take time and read it. It's just long enough that uh, I don't want to spend time doing that. But here's kind of where I landed when I looked up. So when we look at this psalm, we want to see what it shows us about God, the gospel, Jesus, because the most practical part of doing theology, the most, the thing that brings us the most change in life is not necessarily seeing us, but seeing the greatness of God. And we are changed, Paul says, by beholding the glory of God. So what did I see in this? Well, I see primarily, first, what you've probably noticed as you've been reading Psalm 119. We've seen the immense goodness of God's word. Um, Psalm 119 is staggeringly beautiful and also convicting as to how we view God's word. Um, you look at what he says in just 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Verse 140 says, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Verse 162, uh, he says this, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. And so what you see in this text is there's kind of two natures of God's word, his law. So those are synonyms he's talking about. Precepts, rules, word, law, commands. I think you see all those things in there. And, and he's not talking about, you know, specific aspects of God's word. These are all just synonyms. They're different words to, to describe the same thing for David. And we see in here that uh, verse 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. And so there are two natures of God's goodness that we see here is first is by nature, they're good. By nature, the righteous God produces righteous rules. And righteous is not just a religious idea of 
uh, perfection also carries this moral idea. They're good. They're so good. And so God's word, apart from us, if it were to lie hidden uh, in the ground, unknown to us, that those rules would still be infinitely perfect. They would know exactly what we need and would be fitted perfectly for all of our needs in a way that, that uh, we don't really understand. So it is good objectively. It's good by nature. But one thing we also see is that it's good by experience, right? David is saying in this psalm, this is so good. I long for this word. I love this word. He says, I open my mouth and I pant because I long for your commandments. And so in one sense, God's word is, is by nature is like uh, kale, right? Everyone knows kale's good for you and that's great, but it doesn't necessarily taste great. But by experience, for me, wings are delicious and they taste good. God's word is both good by nature and good by experience. It is as if chicken wings, the soul-satisfying bite of a chicken wing, provides me all the nutrients. God's word is good on its own and it is good in experience. What a gift that God would do that. That God's word is not simply utilitarian, but it actually meets us in our needs and satisfies our hearts when we understand it rightly in relationship to God. And so we see the goodness of God's word here. And uh, I talk about we need to understand it in relationship to God because the second thing I see is not just the goodness of God's word, but we see God's grace in the Old Testament. Um, I'm not sure if you have grown up in the church, um, but there's kind of this tendency, and uh, this comes from kind of the Reformed tradition, certain aspects of the Reformed tradition, where it looks at the Old Testament and says the Old Testament is a covenant of works and the New Testament is a covenant of grace. Um, and because of that, anything we read in the Old Testament, we read kind of de facto from a legalistic bent. Legalism, um, I would say, grace is the idea that God is out in front of you and we're responding to what God has done. Legalism is the idea that we are out in front of God and God is responding to what we're doing. Um, and so they would say that the Old Testament, God gave this law, and uh, if you were out in front of God, if you were keeping these laws well enough, then you'd be accepted, you'd get the covenant blessings. Um, and I'm speaking broadly here, but what happens is when we read the Old Testament, we have these legalistic glasses of, well, this is just that they need to do, they need to perform, and then God would accept them. And there's a sense in which that's true. God gave them the law as a protection. God, we looked at this in Deuteronomy, uh, the laws like guardrails that guard the bowling alley of God's blessing so that hopefully when you run into it, you bounce back through discipline into the lane instead of falling into the gutter of um, falling outside of God's covenant promise. But we know that legalism in itself is not a right reading of God's law. And we see that in this text. Why? Because look at what David says in uh, 132. Turn to me. And be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. And so in this text, we see David talking about his need to obey. We see him talking about the righteousness of God. We even see him talking about how there are people who do not obey his law. But David, who only had God's law, comes away understanding two things. The necessity and the significance and the purity of the calls to obey God's law. But he also understands God's grace. He petitions God for grace in that. God gives his people the law, but grace even preceded the law. It was by God's grace he brought the, he called Abraham. It was by grace he brought them out of Egypt. It was by grace he, he gave them the law. And so there are requirements that God gives us to do, but they are not apart from grace. God intended the law to shape his people. He intended his rules to instruct them, to give them wisdom, to curb sin, and to 
to cause blessing to flourish. But central to that is a God who is gracious even to those who wrestle with fulfilling this law. So Psalm 119 shows this amazing standard that only the God of the Bible can uphold, where there's this wonderful, pure law, which alone can give righteousness and uh, leave you uncondemned before God. And yet, somehow, God is gracious to those who do not meet the righteous standard of the law. He is gracious to those who slip and fall. And so even in the Old Testament, when we read of people needing to obey, they did need to obey to get God's blessing. But undermining that was a God who was gracious to them to even bring them to that point. And this ultimately comes uh, where we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And we're going to come back to that in a second. As we see God's immense goodness and we see God's immense grace to us in his word and in his grace in Psalm 119. When it comes to looking in, I saw two things as well. Uh, the first is that God's word is sufficient for my circumstances. God's word is sufficient for my circumstances. And so if you're, um, when we think of Psalm 119, we think of this, uh, we think probably first of the, the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, and then we think of a, something that's proclaiming the goodness of God's word, right? It starts, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek after him with their whole hearts. Um, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimony I delight as much as in all the riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so again, he's talking about this objective nature of God's word. But what I love about Psalm 119 is there's a center to it that we can't forget. Psalm 119 is not just about David sitting in his uh, king's chamber meditating on the goodness of God's word. In fact, already in Psalm, one, or Psalm 119, verse 24, I think. Oh, I can't find it now. Um, but pretty early on in Psalm 119, we see that David is writing this psalm when his enemies are pursuing him. Princes have turned his hand against them. And we see that even in uh, our reading today, Psalm 1, uh, 19, 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Uh, 157 says this, Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimony. Uh, 161, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. And then we see his, there's a plea here. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. And so we often think that God's word is good when everything is good. But what David shows us is this psalm, that this psalm proclaiming the beauty, the soul-satisfying wonder, a panting heart for God's word, actually comes in the circumstance of oppression, of trial, of fear, of sorrow, and of uncertainty. And so what we have in God's word is something that comes into, by grace, into our lives that meets our human needs. That you right now, wherever it is you are, God has given you something to speak to you, regardless of what your circumstances are. 
Your life is not so good that the goodness of God has become irrelevant. And your life is not so bad that the solutions for God cannot help you. But God in his word has given us something wonderful and soul satisfying. I love, this is in the other uh, chapter we read today that I'm not talking about, Psalm 139. He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I climb the mountain, you're there. If I go to the depths of the grave, you are there. He says, how wonderful is this for me? How wonderful is it that God's word, regardless of where you are, even if you begin to think that God's word cannot speak to you, it is in that moment where God promises, this is for your good. This is wonderfully helpful for where you are. This is where he gives you peace in all of this. And so we see that God's word is sufficient for our circumstances, that this book was written for humans to find joy in it. It was written for you. And we need to see that. I need to see that. And secondly, uh, we see in this God's answer to us in Jesus, right? Because it is speaking to all of our circumstances, right? David is not writing simply from the comfort of his throne room. He's writing from a place of affliction. Um, and he's crying for an answer. He's crying for this law to justify him. He's trying to have um, God answer him because of his faithfulness to the law. He is boasting in the law. He's saying, I love your law, deliver me. And for us, we have an even greater confidence than David because Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Jesus is God's word par excellence. He is the word of God in a sense that the Old Testament was pointing to in all of this. At the heart of Psalm 119 in the Old Testament, we see God's beautiful righteousness to save according to the law. But in the New Testament, we see that because we cannot meet the law, because we cannot find that righteousness, Jesus has met the law for us. Jesus is the word which brings us salvation. Jesus is the comfort that brings us peace with God. And I just want to share some of this from you where we could see for us the wonderful answer we have in Jesus. So this is uh, verses 145 through 149. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I might obey your testimony. See, salvation is being tied up with obedience in all of this. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Their hope is in meeting the perfect, perfect rules that God gave them in the law. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I might meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, according to your justice. Give me life. 153 says this. Look at my affliction and deliver me because I do not forget your law. Do you get this theme? There is salvation in the law. The bumper that brings them back into God's grace is so good and they need it. Verse 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Psalm one, or Verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And then he speaks to God and he says this. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. When we are in moments of sorrow, when we feel the need to be justified according to a law, we can look to Jesus who has justified us by that law, by grace, through faith. Jesus met the law in perfection. He never disobeyed. He never found himself as a transgressor. He never slipped on the law. He never forgot the law. He never failed to fulfill the law. And yet, just like David, enemies rose up against him. 
and they rose up against him because we were the enemies. We were the ones who rejected God, but Jesus died for us. At the end of Psalm 119, David says, I've gone astray like a sheep. And Jesus, the greater David, came and he was killed so that he might be the great shepherd to take back the sheep. That we might look at this psalm and with greater confidence plead, cry out to God for salvation in moments of distress. And know that in Jesus, we have this grace. We have this righteousness. We have this salvation. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And this leads us to the looking out part. And, and, and the first thing I, I question I have is this. When we look out, how does this shape our life? Am I longing for this? I love what David did. In moments of trial, he looked exclusively to God for his salvation. He looked to God to meet and speak to his needs and his wounds and his weaknesses. Do I do that? In moments when I'm stressed with the building fund, I'm stressed with having four kids in my home 24 hours a day with no school right now, stressed when I'm tired, am I willing to go to God and to say, I pant for this righteousness? And it's been given to me in Jesus. Do I see that Jesus has met my need? Do I rejoice? Do I say your promises are true and I have tasted them? And one of the ways that I, um, this goes back to what we talked about yesterday in church, where Paul gives this, or Peter gives this command to the church to long for the pure spiritual milk of the gospel. That the, when we ask ourselves, if we're longing for this law, if we're longing for this perfect righteousness given to us in Jesus, like David is, the most practical question we can ask ourselves is, am I making time for this? Am I making time to see the beauty of Jesus? Am I making time to look at, to read through the Old Testament and see the places where we needed someone to give us righteousness apart from the law? Are we reading the New Testament and seeing the beauty of Jesus who has come and done just that? Do I read this book knowing that it has met every need and provided me every hope and now I see so clearly the goodness of God in nature and the goodness of God in my experience of the gospel. Look at Psalm, uh, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Do I realize that I can take my experiences and I can go to the gospel and I can understand because of what Jesus has done in fulfilling the law and reconciling me back to God, that I can have peace and not stumble. That for the first time in my life, there's a way forward, not because of my works, but because of Jesus's works. And so am I longing for this? Am I making time to see the beauty of God? Am I praying for this? But secondly, I have, do, do I exhibit, in light of Psalm 119, gospel wisdom? Okay. Um, David is proclaiming in all of his circumstances. He's saying, I don't know what to do. Men are pursuing me. Uh, enemies are rising against me. But I know your law can give me wisdom. I know your law can justify me. I know your law can save me. And he's asking for that wisdom. And that's part of the truth of having the sufficiency of Scripture, is knowing that Scripture can actually instruct us in moments of need. But the way in which we're instructed in the New Covenant is not like the Old Covenant. See, in Deuteronomy, we read through specific parts where there's this um, there's case law. And so there's a lots of if this, then this. If this, then this. If this, then this. And it was spelled out to a T for them as to how they were to obey. In the new covenant, because Christ has fulfilled the law, we no longer have this guidebook of rules. And the, the Bible is not a guidebook of rules. The Bible is a guidebook of how God has planned to redeem humanity through Jesus Christ. But when we have seen that, we have the ability to live wisely. 
We have the ability in all of our circumstances, because we know Jesus, because we know the goodness of God in the gospel, because we know the danger of sin, right? David says that. He says, I hate those who hate your law. We know that we can, by God's help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, make wise decisions when we don't know what's going on. And you know what? We might make wrong decisions at times, but God doesn't expect us to be um, to know everything. He doesn't expect us to be omniscient. But he does expect us to look at what's in front, to turn to God for help, and to pray that we might make a decision based out of the wisdom of what Christ has done. Are we making decisions that glorify God and love others? Are we choosing to hate the sin that God hates and love the thing that God loves? Are we wrestling with our decisions and the weight of life from God's perspective? Because it is good. And we know that even when we fail and even when we fall, God's grace, even more so in the New Testament, is there to be gracious to us in our failings. And so what does it look like for us when we encounter circumstances in our lives to not just long for a specific check sheet of what decision is best, but to actually realize that we have, we've seen the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We know what it looks like to honor God because we've seen how Jesus has done it and saved us by that way. And are we beginning to process the implications of that salvation through the decisions in our life? So that's Psalm 119. Um, that was kind of what I took away this morning. Um, I, I read it maybe two or three times going in, and those are kind of the, the top things that stood out to me. Um, there's so many more things. I'd love to hear uh, what you guys think. If you're on Facebook, you could put in the comments kind of things that stood out to you because um, I think this video goes and gets posted on the Sovereign Hope Facebook feed. So if you want to add some stuff there, you're welcome to. Um, but let me just pray for us quickly here, and then we'll let you guys get on with your Monday morning. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you that your word is good, not only um, in nature, but good in experience. And Lord, we thank you that we can experience the goodness of your word as Jesus Christ, the word of God who came and fulfilled the law and granted salvation, not according to our works, but according to his perfect work. And because of that, Lord, I pray we long all the more for to know your righteousness in your word to know that you have given us good things because you've given us Jesus, to have tasted the goodness of the gospel to drive us more and more to the source of wisdom and comfort in your word. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a good Monday.